God, we thank you for the chance that you've given us this morning to have the time to come together and to proclaim the truth of your word. And um, God, to speak it over ourselves and speak it over this place. And uh, Lord, just grateful for, again, grateful for this time where we've gotten to just look slowly at um, the sacrifice you made on the cross and and what you've done for us. And God, we just pray as we look at this passage in particular that um, you would show us that you aren't surprised by anything, uh, that you weren't surprised by uh, going to the cross. And, and Lord, I pray that you encourage and strengthen our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm calling this, uh, this message, Author and Perfecter. Uh, we're, we've been in John uh, 19, and we've been going through John for a long, long, long time, as you all know, and, um, and we're in this portion of Scripture where we're leading up to, uh, and now are at, the crucifixion of Jesus, and so we've seen him uh, go through um, uh, being tortured by the Roman soldiers and, and, uh, and accused and then sentenced to crucifixion, and, and today what we see is the very crucifixion of Jesus, and and as I was reading through this, I was I was actually reminded of uh, one of my favorite verses. Uh, it's my my very favorite verse, actually, which is Hebrews twelve one and two. I think I think we have a slide for this. This is gonna be really fancy. This is the first time we've done this, but we I think we I think we've got a slide to show you the text on the screen. Look at it. Look at look at how advanced we've come. look at. Oh, look at that! How cool! How cool is that? That's pretty. That's pretty cool stuff right there. I tell you what, we're 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 making way. All right. Um, anyway, this is my favorite verse, uh, Hebrews twelve, one and two, uh, and it says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And as we look through this passage, um, I think you'll see that this is really talking about what Jesus is doing in this text today, uh, which is found again in, in John 19, uh, 16 to 27. So I'm going to read some from that and continue on. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews and Pilate uh, said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven uh, in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, 
they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. In the very beginning of this passage, we see a lot of things that are happening to Jesus here at the crucifixion. We see that he's crucified at a place called Golgotha. We see that he's named the king of the Jews. Uh, We see the soldiers are dividing up his garments. John is reminding us here that this Jesus knew where he was going. He's actually reminding us that there is no surprise in this for Jesus at at all. Uh, So let's pick him off sort of one at a time here. Um, First of all, Golgotha. The place where Jesus is going is crucified is a place called Golgotha. And we've heard of this scripture. It's in Genesis chapter 3. There's a reference at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve have fallen and taken of the fruit which they ought not to have taken, uh, uh, God comes to Adam and Eve and is giving a judgment on both Adam and Eve as well as the serpent. And he says something very interesting to the serpent in John three, or Genesis three fourteen and fifteen, he says this to the serpent, uh, to Satan. He says, "The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring." He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Interesting, again, that Jesus is crucified at a place called Golgotha. The place is called Golgotha because it's the place of the skull. Uh, This is the place in Jerusalem, right outside the wall, where when a victor had been slain, um, their head was chopped off and, and set outside the city gate for those to see who has been defeated. Uh, One story that we understand of this happening to is David and Goliath. When David defeats Goliath, you might remember he hits him, right, with a rock, but then he goes and takes Goliath's sword and he chops off his head. Uh, Well, his head would be probably laying at the place of the skull. Um, It's along the road in and out to Jerusalem, and our understanding is you see who's been defeated there very quickly. And, uh, And so this was the place of the skull. And so when, when uh, Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve and, and draws them into sin and they, uh, they come and they sin, uh, they get a judgment as well, but so does Satan. And Satan's judgment is this, is that the, the offspring of these people that I have created, the offspring of Adam and Eve, there's going to come a one who crushes your head. And, and you may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so we believe that this is the, uh, the first prophecy of the gospel that God was going to provide a sacrifice from the offspring of the woman to defeat Satan and what he had done in the very beginning. We see also uh, that an inscription is made above the cross. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. When the chief priest had come to Pilate and said to him, hey, you know, this man should die. The accusation that he gave against Jesus was that Jesus was claiming to be king. And there's only one king in Rome. His name is Caesar. And so if you're going to claim to be king, you are an insurrectionist. You are, you are uh, coming against the emperor. And so you ought to be put to death for treason. 
And this was the claim that was put forth. And, and Pilate was not convinced about this. As we saw and gone through, he was like, he's no threat to the kingdom. There's, there's, there's definitely nothing he's done to make himself some sort of king. But in the end, the inscription that he puts, the, the official inscription, they would do this for anyone they would crucify. At the very top of the cross that they're crucified on, they would label the charges in every language, right, to mark out why this person has been placed here at the place of the skull, um, right, why this person is being killed. And for Jesus it was, he's the king of the Jews. It said in Latin, it said in Aramaic, and it said in Greek, so that all the people who came in and out of Jerusalem would know who was being crucified and why they were being crucified. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, <clears throat> the chief priests obviously had a problem with this, and the leaders of the Jews obviously had a problem with this, because they didn't believe Jesus was their king. And so they came and asked, no, 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 you need to put the charges, the official charges ought to be that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate says, no, nah, what's written is written. I'm, I'm all set with that. Pilate didn't really have a great relationship with the chief priest, turns out, and uh, was just fine with making them angry. And so... So he said, no, no, what's written is written. It is, it is what it is. We saw from the very beginning of John, actually, that uh, Jesus is being recognized as the king. In John 1, he's calling Nathaniel, and as he calls Nathaniel, Nathaniel comes out to him, and as Nathaniel is coming, he says, now here is a Jew of Jews. I saw you under the fig tree. And when he was under the fig tree, he was considering a number of things. And so for Jesus to say, I saw you under the fig tree is like, what? why do you know about that time, that I was, specific time I was having? And that moment, Jesus knowing where Nathanael was, Nathanael's response is, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He recognizes that he's king. Soon after that, Jesus goes to the wedding at Cana and changes the water to wine. And then and he, he also goes into the temple and cleanses the temple, if you remember this. Um, and when he's cleansing the temple, um, people are obviously angry at him, sort of upsetting what is going on there in the market uh, that they have made inside of the temple. And, and Jesus says, if, um, says that, uh, that he will destroy the temple and raise it up in three days and and they're confused by this and say, how are you going to do that? This temple took 46 years to build. And John tells us he was speaking about himself. John uh, 2, 21 and 22. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when, when therefore he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so uh, while that was happening... There was a huge crowd that was following Jesus, and they wanted to make him king. And we see that in verses John 2, 23 to 24, which I think we have. Um, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Jesus is not surprised. He's not surprised about the place he's come to, 
right? Golgotha. He's not surprised about this. He, he actually existed, uh, we believe, before the foundation of the earth. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, right? Jesus has been here eternally existent in the past. We can't say that of ourselves. He knew that Golgotha was coming. He knew this moment was here. He also knew what was in a man, which is why he never took on the mantle that they were placing on him early on in his ministry to take over the kingship. He knew that their hearts were not ready to understand why he really came. He knew that the end of man is, is this that we see in these verses today. It is uh, the Jewish leaders squabbling over the charges against him and the crowd who just a few days earlier had hailed him as the king and brought him into the city uh, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, has now cried out, crucify, crucify. He knew what was in a man. He's not surprised that he's here in Golgotha. John then records this uh, you know, little tidbit about the soldiers right after, and um, here the soldiers are dividing up his clothes. Right? I mean, think of how insignificant they feel that Jesus is, right? I mean, they, they have just crucified the Savior of the world. They, they've just been the ones to put him on the cross and lay him up there, and to this, this is just another day for them. This is just another crucifixion. This is another person. They're just going to divide up the clothes and, and cast lots for the, for the tunic, and they're just going to move on about their day. This is nothing to them. They don't recognize what is happening here. And Jesus knew this, that, that even in this moment, they would be greedy. Even in this moment, they'd just be seeing what they could get out of it. <clears throat> Psalm 22 is the verse that's referenced there. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We believe that that was a passage written by David uh, prophesying about the Messiah to come. And here it is being fulfilled that the soldiers are indeed dividing up his garments among themselves. Jesus knew. He knew the heart of man. He, He knows the heart of man. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 17, John here is uh, reflecting on, um, really on on the heart of a man. He says this, 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Jesus knows what's in the heart of a man, and, and, and this is it, Right? That at the foot of the cross, soldiers would be concerned about the desire of flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're just dividing up his clothes. They're just taking in the spoils at the foot of the cross. 
It's hard for us to imagine that, right? We just sung, right, at the foot of the cross. And all that that means to us being on this side of the cross and thinking of that. But, I mean, the truth is, we're just like that. If we had been back there at that time, we would have been exactly the same. Going about our day, just another day. There's this man crucified. Man, I thought he was something special, but they're killing him. So he clearly isn't, right? That's how we would have seen it. Jesus is the author of our faith. He knew from, from the moment that Adam and Eve fell what was going to be required. He, he actually knew before they fell what would be required if they fell. And you know what? He was willing from the foundation of the earth to be the sacrifice that was needed. He was willing to go to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where, where the slain are taken, outside the city walls, totally disrespected, made fun of, spit at. He knew what was in a man. He knew that even at a crucifixion site, they'd be casting lots over his clothing. The author of our faith knows how dark and deep our hearts can get. And thankfully, he's also the perfecter of our faith. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He, he knew what was going to be required in our faith to be restored to God the Father was a sacrifice that is perfect, and that is himself. He's the author. He's the founder. He also knows how to perfect it. He also knows how to not only provide for our salvation, that's the cross, but also perfect it throughout our lifetime until eternity. Verses 25 and 26, we see this picture that is, I mean, it's hard, really very hard to get ourselves here, like, mentally, you know, to get this picture in our heads of what is actually happening. I mean, again, like, if you watch The Passion of the Christ, like, that, that you have to get to that level of um, uh, visual to really wrap your mind around what is going on here, and, and, and what's going on here is you see Jesus, verse 25, the soldiers that did these things, they, they split up the clothing, but standing by the cross of Jesus are his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and his disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. <clears throat> Just imagine, I mean, John has seen Jesus beaten to a pulp, uh, carry his cross down the road to Golgotha, uh, put on a stake, lifted up on there, nailed to the cross, hanging there for hours upon hours. And the thing that Jesus does in that moment as he's hanging on a cross is caring about the perfection of the faith of these disciples that have followed him. He looks down on them and says, this is your family. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said, woman, behold your son. 
And John, behold your mother. And that on the hour, the disciple took her into his own home. <clears throat> John is, um, uh, you know, not, not Mary, the mother of Jesus' son, right? He's a disciple. And so what we understand, there's a couple of things that, uh, as we try and understand this passage, uh, Mary, we, we think, may have lived in Capernaum, which is a long way away, and so her sons weren't really fit to take care of, of her. Uh, they were further away, and so it, it's either the distance or, or potentially their, um, and, and more harshly, their rejection of Jesus as uh, who he claimed to be, the Savior, is keeping them from taking care of their mom. And so whatever the case, whether it's simply distance or whether it's actually religious division, Jesus says to John the disciple, this is your mother. And Mary, this is, this is your son. And so for that, from that point on, John the disciple takes care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and thankfully, uh, we understand that you know, later on that Jesus' brothers do come to faith. But at this point, they, they don't believe Jesus is the king. They, they don't believe he's the, they've been against him. It paints a really important picture for us um, that, that Jesus spoke about throughout his life. In uh, John 17, verses 20 to 26, he's praying for the disciples. I don't think I have this up there, so... Um. In fact, I've covered it up in my notes. How cool is that? All right, John, look over here. <clears throat> Further back. John 17, uh, 20 to 26. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. Right? And, and I, again, keep this picture in your mind. Uh, Jesus is on the cross, and he's telling uh, this woman and this man that, hey, John is going to take care of you, Mom. He's, he's got you. This is your family. Okay? You guys depend on each other like family. And this is exactly what he's praying to the Father about in John 17, 20 to 26. He says this, as he's praying to God about the disciples that will come. I do not ask for these only, that is, the twelve disciples, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. They also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. Love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. 
Jesus wants us to be one, a one family under Jesus, right? I in them and, and we in uh, you, as, as I am in you, they in us, right? That they may be with me where I am and see the glory that you have given me. See, the cool thing about uh, our faith in Jesus and the perfecting of our faith in Jesus is that we don't do it alone. <laughs> the perfecting of our, our faith in Jesus, again, for Mary and this beloved disciple of, of Jesus's, is done in community. It's done when we take care of one another, when distance of, of regular support is there. We depend on each other to care for each other and to point each other to Jesus. And the cool thing about it is that uh, it crosses all sort of uh, spectrums of interest, right? We're not unified on our just common interests. There's uh, some folks in this room that don't like sports. Did you know that? Can you believe that, Jeff? People in this room that don't like to watch sports. I know it's, you know, but they love Jesus. And so we're unified. You know, there's some people, can you believe this, John? There are people in this room that don't like to buy, sell, and trade watches. I, I don't get it. I don't understand, you know? But you know what? I mean, they love Jesus, you know? And Sandy, there's some people in this room that don't listen to hardcore Christian rock. Even though your hardcore Christian rock isn't as hardcore Christian rock as, uh, as Marie's, who isn't with us today. You know what? But but they still love Jesus, right? This, this family, this, uh, these disciples that Jesus is looking down on and saying, listen, if you want to see your faith perfected, behold your mother and behold your son. Can you imagine like the last, one of the last moments of Jesus' life as he's hanging on a cross, being tortured for our sin that we deserve. One of the things that he's like eking out of his breath, right? He's still a man, okay? And this, the scene is just too despicable to not explain. Like there is a little wooden bench on, on the cross there for him, his body to sort of rest on for a minute, not for comfort, but to keep him uncomfortable, right? So as you rest on it, it turns out it keeps you alive a little longer, but still out of breath. And, and so, as he's resting there, continuing to be tortured, he says to us what he prayed already before the Father, I want them to be one. I want them to know that they've got to be unified in me, in me, not in any common interests of this world, the desires of the flesh, or the passions of this life, not in those things, but in this moment, this sacrificial moment that I've poured out for them, I want them to be unified here at the cross to know that this is what it's about. You want to show love to your mother, to your father, show it like this on this cross. You want to show love to your son or your daughter, show it like this on this cross. And, and it's about Jesus. He's the founder of our faith. He knows our hearts. He knew he was coming to this moment from the foundation of the world. As soon as the curse comes in, as soon as the fall happens, he knows 
thousand years, thousands of years ahead of this time right now, I'm going to a cross, a place called Golgotha, and I'm going to die for these people's sins. And then I'm going to leave. And I'm going to let this, the power of this cross perfect itself in the lives of a church that cares for one another. So I encourage us to know this, that um, Jesus founded our faith. He's the author of it. He, he knows the extent and depth of our hearts and the darkness of them. And he paid for them on the cross. He, he founded our faith there. But also that we would know this. He's the perfecter of our faith. And I think very plainly and clearly, the perfection of our faith is not in helping self. It's, it's not in perfecting our own holiness in any way, shape, or form. It's about being found in community with one another and pouring out into one another, reminding ourselves that the power of, of Christianity, of the power of our faith, is not in anything else but at the cross. The sacrificial love that Jesus showed right there is what fuels everything in our life. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for what you did in Jesus. We're so thankful that you don't call us to uh, walk through religious hoops or have some certain level of knowledge or, um, or any of that stuff. God, you, you don't call us to uh, achieve certain success in life and, uh, and, and, and to live it according to the American dream or whatever it may be. You don't call us to particular interests or uh, personality types. You, you gift us each individually and give us our own passions and, and desires. But, Lord, thankful that you give us one common truth to stand on. And that's that you love us so much that you died for us, that we will be united with our Father in heaven. And that you love us so much that you let us learn that by pouring it out to one another. God, so I pray for us that uh, we would be perfected in our faith, that you would be the perfecter of our faith. <clears throat> so Lord, I pray that um, we would just have a passion and desire to build each other up, and to encourage each other every single day as the, dece the deceitfulness of sin continues to increase in this world, Lord, pray they would find our strength and our hope in a body of believers that loves and cares for us, and that we too would pour out the same sacrificial love you gave to us, to those you've placed around us in the faith. Lord, you pray in your prayer as you're calling us to be one that the world would know you by seeing us in unity. And so God, let us not worry about how to uh, evangelize the nations because you tell us how it'll be done. 
It will be done when the nations and the world sees a body of believers who so cares for one another, then why wouldn't you want it? Lord, thank you for showing us the model of a sacrificial love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.